On the podcast today, we're going to speak about the second chapter of the Tao Te Ching, which is the second episode in this series, the 81 Meditations of the Tao Te Ching. And the second chapter gets into the interplay of opposites and also the amorality of Taoism, which a lot of people, you know, get triggered about because, uh, you know, obviously Westerners who come across especially Eastern spirituality, and specifically Taoism, they think that uh, things have to be moralistic and they don't understand a Taoist point of view, but we will talk about that today. And so to get into it, again, we're using the Jia Fu Feng and Jane English translation here. And so I'll read to you the second chapter of the Tao Te Ching and just a couple of other uh, sentences by Jia Fu Feng <clears throat> about this chapter. Under heaven, all can see beauty as beauty only because there is ugliness. All, you, all can know good as good only because there is evil. Therefore, having and not having arise together. Difficult and easy complement each other. Long and short contrast each other. High and low rest upon each other. Voice and sound harmonize each other. Front and back follow each other. Therefore, the wise go about doing nothing, teaching no talking. The 10,000 things rise and fall without cease, creating yet not possessing, working yet not taking credit. Work is done, then forgotten. Therefore, it lasts forever. Now, just a couple of uh, pointers for people before we get into this by Jafu Feng, uh, where he says, Every force evokes and depends upon a counterforce. And then he goes on further. The wise understand all of life amid the ten... Actually, let's have a... Yeah, no, let's go from there. The wise understand all of life amid the 10,000 things as basically a play of forces. Moral teachings that attempt to break the complementary relation of good and evil are doomed to failure and breed violence to others and to oneself. This teaching is an essential aspect of the doctrine that has, in the Western world, often being condemned as heretical or dangerous. It is always a difficult, hidden and subtle doctrine, easily misunderstood as justifying self-indulgence and even cruelty. And that's the lack of understanding from Westerners of what this means. And this sort of teaching is usually uh, isolated to people, like if we look at it from Judaism and Islam, uh, who have done a lot of uh, dis moral discipline in the exoteric field and the, in the esoteric teachings like in Sufism, and in and, and the esoteric teachings in Judaism, usually these teachings are left for those people. But as we see with the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu gets us out of the way pretty much straight away <laughs> in the second chapter. So yeah, and the concept of morality in an, under Taoism is still very foreign to a lot of people. I think and mm. people may have a very a strong a pull towards uh, the Taoism, especially Lao Tzu Ching, Lao Tzu's uh, teaching mm. in general, but. Amorality is such a very foreign concept, I think. Well, it's because a lot of, especially because a lot of spiritual teachings, even some Eastern spiritual teachings, right, have uh, moral disciplines and they have certain set of ethics that one should follow. And you could say that that's all well and good. And it's not to say that Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi are against morality. It's about setting up systems of belief of, of morality that tend to warp our nature. As, as Jiafu Feng said there, as soon as uh, you seek to destroy 
the opposite, that's when you create more trouble. So if you're not if if you don't understand the interplay of opposites in the world, the yin and yang energies of the of the universe, then then you will think that there can be this universal good and uh, evil uh, or bad people won't exist, so to speak. You know what I mean? But when you understand from a um, from a higher perspective, you understand that this is just the interplay of those two fundamental forces in action. Yeah, it's um, it's very important first and foremost to understand manifest manifested world and unmanifested world. Yeah, so um, obviously a lot of people in in the world only see the world as it looks, right? Just a physical world, uh, what we can physically see, right? And that counted as a, just a world in general for a lot of people. So that's to say it's manifested world, right? Mm-hmm. And that mes- in that manifested world, there's so many things in th- it's very diverse, so that, like in the first chapter, it says how uh, how ten thousand things come about, right? This the manifested world is the ten thousand things. So that if you have a strong belief on this world, this manifested world is the only world that exists, right? That conflict between one another in between ten thousand or more things mm. is kind of inevitable. Mm. That's lack of understanding to see high above yes well that's what they say in the second chapter right the ten thousand things arise and fall without cease it's just that's the nature of the manifest world it's just coming and going the coming and going people are coming and going everything's coming and going right and according to like the yugas the the universe is eventually coming and going as well so you know you have that uh element of this coming and going of this this impermanence of the universe and uh there needs to be a deeper understanding of that instead of like, you know, we have a kind of, of temperament of like permanence in our mind because we think that we're going to live forever. We think that the universe is going to be around forever. We think that, it, you know, a president's going to be around forever. We think, a, you know, a certain situation is going to be that way forever and it's not, it inevitably changes. And to have that elevated perspective is to understand the law of change. And the law of change is the, the interplay of opposites. It's just constantly moving around. The dance of yin and yang is constantly happening within the universe. That levels of uh, higher perspective, mm. it's such detrimental to understand the whole problem, whole trouble in the world in general, right? Mm. Otherwise, we like how we have a lot of problems in the world, we believe that there are a lot of problems that try to prove you're right, or some other person is wrong, or mm-hmm. the other way around, or these things. And in the end, it, like you said, it's just part of interplay. Mm-hmm. And you ne- we, we need to kind of rise above to be able to see it. Once you have a high heightened perspective, it's uh, just kind of play, just mm-hmm. like a wave in the ocean. Yeah. It comes and goes. Is like it's it's gonna be ridiculous to say that a wave coming in is better than wave going out, yeah. right? There's no mm. such thing. It's mm. uh, just of nature. That's what it does. Yeah. Uh, so is a, a human life as well, mm. and that's what we need to understand. Yeah, if you create a YouTube channel, you need to expect trolls in the comment section. <laughs> you need to expect uh, idiotic comments, right? If you're going to create a YouTube channel or something like that, that's part of the interplay. It's part of like, there will always be someone who won't 
exactly see it your way or they're at a certain level of understanding or maybe they have a light, low IQ or something and they, and they see it that way. And you have to ex- sort of ex- ex- accept that because that's part of it. The problem is, is when you get really angry about that and get triggered by those sorts of things and then next minute, then you're caught into, like what Jafu Feng said, you're, you're caught into trying to just make the good without the bad. Uh, and I'm using that just as a brief analogy here, but that's kind of how we're going about with our, with our world, right? We're, we're setting up a, a moral disposition within everyone's mind where there should be a certain way of behavior about how things are and a certain and we, and, and we need to have a set of beliefs and let's be frank in, in the western world those set of moral beliefs are based on christianity even if you're an atheist your set of moralistic beliefs are subtly influenced by christianity and Lao Tzu, he th- he doesn't even throw a spanner in the works here because he again we're talking about Taoism, which is a lot older than christianity he doesn't. He he's saying that the natural way, the natural path, we we naturally uh, are moralistic. We don't need a set of beliefs. So we're naturally good deep down. We're fundamentally good, as Mencius s- says, right? And in the Mongza, in the Mongza text, uh, we are fundamentally good. And he uses the analogy of the the boy in the well. You know, if we all see a boy playing near the edge of a well and he's about to fall in, we all have it. Yeah impulse to save the boy like that deep feeling inside you you don't have to teach that it's something you innately have within yourself and that's what Lao is leaning into he's like all you idiots and you know he's specifically targeting confucianism here all of you idiots going around trying to especially confucius trying to uh create this confucian morality for people is actually destroying people's nature as opposed to allowing them naturally to be you know uh in harmony with nature which coincidentally doesn't lead to a lot of violence and so forth and so on because you have a deeper understanding that you're part of something much greater you're just part of nature and you understand that there is this interplay of opposites so forth and so on right like they talk about actually in the Zhuangzi text in the Robert Zhe chapter they uh, Robert Zhe explains to Confucius the time of Shennong Shennong was an was an older age and he was saying like in the age of Shennong you know Everything was all shanty, you know. He, but he used he used some pretty crude terminology. Not crude, I shouldn't say. Like he to it to articulate, he kind of said, uh, "Sons and daughters knew their mother, but did not know their father, and so forth and so on." So there was like this natural. He's not saying that, but he's he's, he's trying to articulate that it was just a it was a natural world, like you know, where, where we didn't govern each other, but everyone uh, loved and and. And respected each other without the need of rules or regulations. Yes, um, a lot of people may believe that uh, otherwise, just like how um, Shunza and Confucius mm. did. They believe that human nature is innately bad, right? But I'm much more with the like Manchester's um, perspective. Mm. The, how he, he explained the ox mountain, mm. right? There is that barren mountain in the village, and this person says, "Oh, look how ugly the, the ox mountain is." And the other person, who was with that person, saying, "Oh, it, it's not mountain that's ugly. There's a village people go up to the mountain to get whatever need and 
uh, cut down the trees and uh, pull all the plants they want and this and that. So it became barren like that over time. So that is to say that Ox Mountain was in innately beautiful, but it was warped because of the environment that they were in, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So that's exactly how I think the human nature can be explained as well. Mm -hmm. That I believe, like, like you said, with the boy in a well story, that we have that um, good nature innately from birth and yep. that's given to all of human beings, I believe. And we somehow got into this um, different life circumstance or upbringing or environment, whatever you're in, wherever you're in, or society, so on, and culture. All these things affect you directly or indirectly and that kind of warps your nature somewhat and you stop believing on people and stop trusting things right then if you uh, stay that way for far too long you believe that is part of your nature but it actually it's not yeah yeah that's it like the, the ox mountain analogy is a great one isn't it because like it's the it's the environment that it's in it's not so much that it, it's not it doesn't have a bad nature it was beautiful before it and then people were grazing, you know, the, the grass and so forth and so on. And then you end up with what you have. It's a barren, it's a barren thing. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the Taoist uh, perspective, right? Is we're innately good until socialization comes in. And when socialization comes in, then our nature begins to be warped. And, and we, we all sort of, you can tell this, right? Because like when you look, at in, look in the eyes of a young child... They don't have any hate or anything inside them. It doesn't exist. I've never seen a baby like, mm, like mischievous at like three years old, like trying Born to... with them, full of anger no, and no, envy no, 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 no. and jealousy. It's learned, see? It's learned. And that's what Taoism's point is. And so Lao Tzu flips everything on its head, saying that the self-cultivation model of society, he's using Confucius here, the self-cultivation model itself is wrong because... Your starting place is that Confucius believes that hum humans are innately beasts and we need cultivation. But Lao Tzu's perspective is that we're not beasts. And so we don't need cultivation. We need less cultivation to understand our nature more. And this is a, an important perspective, especially for people who practice spiritual practice. Because a lot of people who practice spiritual practice get into this moralistic disposition where they just got to practice, 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 mm -hmm. practice. Like, I've got to cultivate, cultivate, cultivate. And there's, there's a time for that, but it's not for all the time. And if you understand Taoism, it's actually counterproductive to do that all the time. And that's just talking about spiritual practice. But talking about life in general, if you're cultivating, like all societies, right, try to cultivate your mentality according to their culture and according to like how society functions, right? You had different cultivation methods and career as I had in Australia. And likewise, anyone else around the world, that they have their own different uh, socialization yeah. and so uh you have to in, in some sense you have to unravel and, and and unwrap all that nonsense to come back to what Lao Tzu is talking about and that's where you begin to understand amorality and this and that and understand actually that morality itself is immoral because you understand that the socialization and self-cultivation model that most societies fall into is, is based is, is fundamentally based on a wrong but the perspective is wrong at the beginning. That's what needs to be understood, and that's again comes down to the, the you know the old uh, philosophy of the unhewn wood versus the, the the carving and polishing metaphor of 
Confucius. So we have the unhewn wood or the uncarved block of Lao Tzu. He's saying stick to the natural, stick to the raw. Or you have the Confucian model of the carving and polishing and you got this really nice bit of furniture maybe. <laughs> and Lao Tzu's like, no, no, you stick to the raw stuff. You stick to the real nature. And actually all of your spiritual practice or anything that you're trying to unravel from society if you're studying spiritual philosophy or something is to get back to that raw nature. It's not to have this carved and polished mentality because we all have that anyway because yeah. we've gone through socialization yeah what we need to definitely look more thoroughly into is that um, having a strong moral society is to separate what's good and bad the stronger the moral morality becomes it's the stronger that this separate becomes yes. and that's therefore it morality itself is i mean contradictory contradicting here mm. but morality itself is very immoral mm, mm. because there is that um, big separation between what's been judged as good or bad mm. right mm. so that if you if you were to raise a child under that kind of um, strict moral society then the child become an adult might suffer from um, strong like a psychological confusion within good conflict within oneself and the and the outside world right mm -hmm. and like again a uh, perfect example in uh, Far Eastern Asian countries especially Korea where I am from mm -hmm. is it like I myself um, was raised as very strict um, kind of moral family it's not like uh, you're uh, you were born Korean, so you act accordingly. It's not like that. It's just culture in general is like that. It's already given. Mm. Kind of, you don't have an option. Mm. It's a culture. Mm. Mm. So that everyone follows basically the, the Confucian way. Mm. And it can, everybody believes that is the right way and that is the only way, mm. right? But what that creates in the in the long term is to have um, conflict between, biggest conflict between generation to generation and then bring up such um, really selfish people. We're talking selfish and cold indifference mm -hmm. type. Like you mm -hmm. don't even, you have no empathy to other people. They, they try to do good for their family and parents only because they feel obliged to. Mm, yeah. Right. This is very it's a kind of abu abusive yes. for people's life, and that is a kind of um, very bad side effect of having strong moral culture. Well, that's why no doubt that Jing Lao Tzu says that when you set up models of flower piety, that in itself creates a sort of like a like an attitude, an attitude where the the the, the children have kind of like they're not as really as supportive of their parents as what it appears. They're just doing that because they're obliged. They feel obliged. It's part of the system where he's saying that flower piety is naturally there without being told to do it. Like, cause naturally we all love our parents, right? Like we don't have to be told to love your parents. You know, even, you know, our parents can do all sorts of bad things to us, but we still innately love our parents because there's that uh, genetic connection. But, you don't need a model or a set, you know, a set system to say that, you know, you should be good to your parents. Now, I'm not saying here that, you know, say if your parents are abusive to, to you and you're, you're, 
you're a son or a daughter, then you need to have a healthy distance, obviously, from your parents. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? But in general, I'm talking here. This is in general. So, and and that's the part of the problem, right? So you have, like in Korea, you have a set culture where you have, you know, ways that you're supposed to behave in society. But it's very, like you said, it's, it's almost hypocritical, you know? And that's what a lot about what this chapter is about too it's, it's it's about exposing the moral hypocrite mm. as well because korea is a good example right like this moral hypocrisy is rife in korea because people are pretending to be a certain way even parents here we know this firsthand and they behind closed doors are completely different than what they show on the surface and this is part of this is again what Lao is saying like if you set up a set of uh, of moral ethics for people They'll often, because of their nature, they'll push back on this, maybe privately, or sometimes in, out in the open they'll push back on this because it's not, it's not in accord with nature. It's, it's an external system that's been imposed on someone. And, if, and any external system imposed on someone is not natural. And so that's part of the problem. And that's where the moral hypocrite is born. And that's why, especially in the Zhuangzi text, a lot of the text is is about exposing Confucius as being a moral hypocrite because he himself is trying to create this morality, but his actions are hypocritical because even he himself can't even fall in line with his own teachings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like because that's just too outrageous. Yeah. The standard is way too high. Standards it's are, it's, it's inhumane. Actually. It's inhumane. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually, if we take a step back from Confucianism and look at the world in general, we've created these inhumane standards in society. The moral-based, the very strong moral-based Confucian culture can be very beneficial in a sense that you can can teach people good manner and um, respecting others and this and that. But I don't think that necessarily need to be taught. Because if you were to follow just nature's way and just bringing the human nature forward and let that play out just naturally without any uh, disruption with Mm. the rules and regulations, Mm. that it'll just be practiced without without being forced. Think about how many things you learned as a child that didn't have to be told. You never had to be told about it. More than you had to be told, right? So just things that you naturally learn about the world that you understand going forward. Like I remember when I was a young kid and, you know, I, ha- I had a little dog and that little dog you play around with, no problem, right? He was like uh, Penny. She was a miniature foxy. And, but then the neighbor's dog was a German Shepherd. I went, I went over there, guns ablaze, and go to play with the German Shepherd. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't hip to the script. <laughs> he chased me good, you know what I mean? And like was yapping at my, my heels and, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. Like, be careful with some dogs, you know what I mean? Like, I, mum and dad never had to tell me, like, mm-hmm. watch that dog next door. Mm-hmm. They just let me just run wild around the backyard and just do my thing. And that's how I learned a bit, that learned the valuable lesson, you know. There were no fences back in that day. It was, we're talking old school here, the 80s. So... Um, you know, there's, you learn lessons like that without having to be told. I mean, you don't need a set of morals and this and that to understand a German shepherd. Some German shepherds' natures are good, some are bad. You know, you got to watch out. Some have, they've been raised a little bit funny, some haven't, you know. So 
But you learn so many things about the world like that, you know. So you and I have traveled a lot and you learn, actually from traveling, you learn a lot more about the world that's just from traveling without having any set of beliefs and, and, and doctrine, right? Like, But in your own society, you're learning about how things work, in air quotes, uh, to fall in line with how it works so that you propagate that system, you know, so that longevity of that society and culture continues to move on. And that's the saying, pull the brakes on that, turn the car around and go in reverse. You've gone the wrong way. If you're going head on, head along with that system, then you're going to suffer accordingly because the morality itself is excluding one half of the world. You're only looking at the so-called good of what you, you perceive as good according to your culture and you are erasing what you perceive as bad. And we, must, I mean, we have to be clear here that what certain cultures perceive as good and bad differs among cultures, right? So what America thinks is, is uh, right and good, maybe the Middle East don't think is right and good. It's completely opposite. They have a different way of thinking. Who is universally right? See, that becomes a thing. And obviously a lot of people in America think they're universally right, and that becomes the mentality around the world where they're trying to promote their set of beliefs or their form of democracy on other places and their form of secularism on other places. And that's why Lao Tzu said that's all hypocritical um, and you need to uh, really distance yourself from that, that sort of way of thinking. Yeah, from that place you can only cause more harm. To yep. humanity, right? You create more separation between people and more conflict, more problem, and you're just gonna never, never be solved. No. Yeah. And if you're following the way of nature, there's no conflict. Like what Robert Joe was saying to Confucius like in the age of Shen Nung, there was no, we didn't have an idea of uh, good or bad, right and wrong, and everyone got along shanti, peaceful, you know. And this again, on the deeper level, goes to, on the spiritual level, what Zhuangzi was talking about with the, the species-specific essence of humans, the Qing, which is uh, our ability to discern between this and that. And this in itself, Confucius believes, is a human flaw because we don't see life in its wholeness. We see life according to our subjectivity. And when we see life according to our own subjectivity, we create moral rules and standards that equate to what we think is right. And that's what Confucius did right in the beginning. And that's what every other society has done after Confucius, even even to today, right? We don't have, it's not an objective perspective of what society is. It's more of a subjective view of what morality should be for certain cultures. And so this ability to, to, to discern between this and that creates the illusion of right and, and wrong, good and bad. He said, she said, all of this nonsense that you go down the line. And that becomes actually part of the mentality and attitude of the culture. If Confucius, uh, if Zhuangzi was alive today, he'd, he'd choke on his breakfast if he saw what was going on in the world. You know, because like, they've, we've gone, he- we've just gone head first into that way of thinking of this and that on a subjective level, you know, so... That's why he has methods of fasting, mind, and meditation to to cleanse that that bad habit of this and that. To see, like what in the in the second chapter says, that life is just an interplay of opposites. But can you see can you see the oneness, the whole, 
reality or are you, or are you, or are you focused on creating uh, a, a world based on one side of the coin as opposed to the other side of the coin? You know, they, people um, have uh, two opposite sides and they you know, argue or whatever, they're in conflict. But like in the chapter says that in a sense, the one party exists because the other party exists. They're yes. independent, in, um, interdependent. Interdependent, yeah. Yeah, that's what we are very short-sighted about, mm. right? We are in this side, and the other people are on the other side, so that you want to um, persuade the way you think to other side, mm. as if that's absolutely right. But that's very, yeah, short-sighted the perspective, yes. because yeah, they're both interdependent. Yeah. It's like, you know, you hear all these arguments between the left and right in politics, right? And so you often hear leftists going, oh, we just need to eradicate right-wingers from the world and so forth and so on. What do you think, Jason? It's like, well, you can't have left without right. It's a play. Understand it's a play. You can't have left without right. The reason why you exist in the first place is because there is them. Both are codependent. The reason why you exist is because they exist. If you didn't exist, they wouldn't exist. That's the way it is. But this is too deep. This is on a deeper psychological and spiritual level that they just think it's, oh, it's just woo-woo or some nonsense like this. It's like, no, no, it's not. You're not looking at it properly. You're not looking at it from, a, from an intelligent perspective. Because you know why? Because you're stuck in the subjective view of your group, your party, and that's what <clears throat> brings conflict to the world and actually destroys the world. When you have a position, you've put a flag in the ground and you've, you know, you've got a position... And you've said, that's it, this is where I stand. And that's not the way of nature. If you have a position in life, you're already, you're standing in the wrong place. Mm. Because life is ever-changing. Mm. And you will never stay in the same place, actually, even if you think you do, you know what I mean? Your view on politics may change. Your view on life may change. Well, actually, not. I shouldn't say may, it will change. Yeah. It may change on a subtle level or it may change drastically. And that's what people need to understand. It's... it's See, the thing is, especially in Western cultures, right, we have this absolutist mentality of that this is the way things are. And when you come into contact with the Tao Te Ching and Lao Tzu and, and Zhuangzi, there's no such thing as absolutist mentality. That just doesn't exist. Because even if you wanted to be absolute about something right now, it's going to change. Mm. It's, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. matter. I think this way when I'm 20. We're well, not going to think that way when you're 40. I mean, like, it's just not going to... I can tell you now, and, and obviously they're going to get so aggressive and angry because they don't want to accept that, but that's the way it is. Yeah, just, uh, like, remember how we felt when we travel. Mm. Like, we all love traveling, right? Mm, of course, yeah. The reason why we like traveling is because um, you, you no longer can think exactly the same or behave the same way as you did in your own country or your familiar environment to the an another country if you were to uh, visit another country because you physically are in different environment, completely different environment, and you consciously understand that you are in a different place, right? Mm -hmm. So that if uh, you were to behave exactly the same or say things exactly the same manner as you were doing to that different place, it may uh, 
be perceived as something rude or inappropriate, right? Mm -hmm. That's why we often see a lot of people who go overseas and they are a little bit different. They act a little bit different, a bit more like maybe hesitant, apprehensive about doing something. That is because they're in a different environment. They they instantly somewhat um, not acting as if what they know is absolutely best because Mm -hmm. they're in a different environment. Mm -hmm. But so that... Because of that reason, I think a lot of people feel the most free mm. in when when people travel, exactly. right? Mm. Because you don't have to oppose your own will over other people no. or other things mm. because it's already foreign to you. So you don't know how things operate, yes. right? Mm. So you need to find out, like you were saying about the uh, dog. And mm. <laughs> you need to kind of... Figure it out as you go, right? Mm, so you sure. need to experience that different environment uh, to uh, figure it out how things work and what's appropriate and what's not because it's a different culture, mm. different environment. So you learn these things. Mm. And in that uh, moment, you'll be like a, just a blank canvas, mm. even if you're, let's say, um, age 50 or 60. Yes. Because you're in a completely, completely different environment. How can you, I mean, like you can be same if you're kind of bold person, <laughs> but <laughs> most people are not. No, you know? no, most people are not that yeah. outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> so that, um, I think more we have experience like that and longer you have that kind of experience and visiting actually completely different culture to culture mm. and experience different um, culture directly firsthand mm. And you kind of develop this um, kind of trust in the world. Mm. Why? Because you didn't know anything about that place, right? Mm. So, you, but you kind of uh, uh, jumped in cold, and you learn as you go. And you did learn as you go, right? Mm-hmm. And you have these experiences, and from place to place, different cultures, different language, and people, mm. and you know that oh, it's okay, like. Mm. I mean, I thought this, what I knew was the best and that was the absolute way. But actually, the way they do things is is fine. Mm. It works pretty good too. Mm. Like this, you kind of naturally open up your mind a little bit, you know. So then you begin to trust how things are and you begin to trust your actually natural, instinctual feeling as well, right? Mm. And you become much more intuitive to yourself and the environment and you develop this um, different kind of, um, I don't know, the brain in your your mind that's been dormant for a very long time because (laughs) of our, you know, indoctrination from the same Mm. environment Mm. living for way too long. Yeah. Well, that's why the yogi never stays in one place too long. Because the yogi sees the world like how you were saying. The yogi uh, travels the world, you know, wanders the world, experiences societies, but doesn't live there for too long. Yeah. So he doesn't understand like the, 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 the subtle nuances. He sees it for what it is. He sees the, the, the subtleness of the society, like, you know, the humility of the people and so forth and so on. He doesn't get into like all of the other stuff, like the politics and this and that. He just sees it for what it is and he... He, he develops a, a, a great trust of the world because he just he moves through life like that, and that relates also to Zhuangzi's free and easy wandering. You know, free and easy wandering can be thought in both ways: free and easy wandering in your mind, but also in life. You're just free and easy. You're, just, you're not your your energy is not blocked. You're just moving with life because you have a, a deep trust of life, and that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? It's and then, like you said, it opens up that 
that we could say like that natural part of our mind. Yes. It's like a kind of the faculty that we all have, mm. but it's been dormant for a very long time and we didn't even know we had that kind of intelligence. Well, that's Uwe, right? That's the, that's the non-doing, effortless action, mm. intelligence, spontaneous part of ourselves that we don't access because we're told to control life. But then once we sort of let go and we just sort of move with life as like a leaf moving down a river, then we, we, we develop, not develop, we reignite that deep trust that we have that we didn't even know was there. We didn't know that faculty was within, yeah. within our mind, but it, it's always there. What's not always there is this, this element of that we can control everything. That's not always there because what you see in life is that you, you, you control Jack. You know what I mean? You don't control anything. So you control just a small bandwidth of life, but you don't control the, the greater totality. It's better to be that leaf moving down the river. Mm. And that's actually, uh, well, that's the nature of a Taoist, right? The nature of a yogi is to, or the nature of a, uh, a Shaiva sadhu is to move with life like that. Not get your mind in, uh, entangled with uh, the cultural tenets and the political aspects of a culture, you disentangle from that and you live freely. That's what a Jivan Mukta is, right? Liberated in this life means they're not, their mind is not entangled with all of these cultural and social aspects that supposedly are supposed to define who we are, but they don't. And they will change over time. So it's better to be naturally who you are and disentangle from all of that nonsense and be a Jivan Mukta. Shanti, you know, Shanti. Yeah, exactly. We just need to actually give um, quite um, somewhat a bit of an effort to undo all these things, right? Yes. It's like uh, almost um, our in our brain, a uh, neural system um, is also the muscle, is mm. working as a muscle memory. Mm. So we need to kind of undo that um, pattern mm. of movement in your brain and then connecting to different uh, uh, net of uh, muscle mm. so that you open up a different uh, part of your mind, yes. which is more intuitive side and more trusting these things. And you need to give very like kind of um, a conscious effort is very important. Yeah. Mm. Like you need to have bodhicitta, like in Buddhism, you need to put a bit of, but like, you know, a bit of spiritual practice into it. But, but like in general, once you let go of the banks of the river and just allow the Tao to, to move you along, you will go where you need to be, you know. But you have to get out of that controlling aspect. You have to get out of... And you have to unravel all of this socialization, mm. you know. This is why you and I know best, but when people travel to places like <clears throat> India or Thailand, they feel a great relief because there's less rules and regulations. And the irony is, is in some senses... There's less crime than places that... And this articulates Lao Tzu's point, right? When you create a system that... A set of morals that is strictly on the, the good, so to speak, you, you instantly create its opposite. And you're, you're ignoring another aspect of life. And so, you know, places like Thailand and India and Nepal, you know, all these sort of places, sure, there's still some laws, some rules, but it's very, you know, it's loosely... It's loose, you know? And so, Lord. yeah, laws with a wink. <laughs> and so what happens is like, as you know, that 
when most people you know, they say if they travel to Thailand, they never want to leave because there's a sense of ease about people and a humility and people aren't wound up with too many rules and regulations and then and there's actually not much conflict within the people even though that you know you could say now that there's some protests in thailand but those protests are different to the protests in america so to speak you know um and there's always been those sorts of protests in thailand but they usually fizzle out and but in general the mentality doesn't change and you know it's as we know from living in thailand and in india that a lot of people who that we know come and visit us they're like oh man how can i live here like because like there's there's this relief that they don't have to worry about the tax man and i mean all of these things that you are free from all those responsibilities responsibilities mm. and free from all of like oh if i do that the you know what are the cops and not that they get not that they're doing anything wrong you know but like there's always this paranoia within especially within western society that because the society's built on that you better not do something wrong or we're going to get you you know where places like thailand and india and these are more Taoist, where it's just like you know just let life sort of have its way and if something really terrible happens then we'll clamp down but if you know for example if you're driving a motor riding a motorbike with uh, no motorbike license you know the the copper might just go you know just don't let anyone else here you know like you know <laughs> yeah, not, no no more no more this time okay this time no okay more. no more yeah 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 <laughs> So it's very like human, right? It's humane. It's humane. So, yeah. but that's what happens when you when you uh, taper back this this these morals and that 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 Lao Tzu was talking about that that Confucianism, what Confucius was trying to propagate, and this a uh, controlled lifestyle that we have in the, most of the world is, I think, also diminishes. Um, like a creativity in individual as well, I mm, think, mm. because society is set up in very specific way, right? Mm. And you you actually have to follow. There is no other option, mm. so that your life becomes in this um, very molded shape, the molded by someone else, not yourself, because you can't live. Um, otherwise, you can't go against the, those, uh, like a frame, mm. so to say, mm-hmm. and you have to live in that frame so that you're not, you can't be expendable, mm. so to say. You, you don't have much uh, room to be creative mm. with your life, mm. right? Whereas in Southeast Asia, India, and place like that is because it's a very open place. And there's not much strict rules and things like that. Even if there are, people can you know always communicate with each other and things like that. And so that allows people a lot of a uh, space to fully live their life as creatively as they want, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's why how many times we see there there are great artists who um, who are from the Western country mm. but settle in Thailand and yeah. do do their things mm. and mm. doesn't matter they're known people or not but they just enjoy doing what they do and they live life uh, creatively mm. you know 
And the creatively doesn't mean that you do arts and things like that. You just live differently in mm. your own style. You yeah. know, not just having a nine to five job, have family, have kids, and look after family and this and that. This is very, very conventional, mm. and that is not the only way of living life. You know? Yeah, your life becomes a work of art. The yeah. way you live becomes a work of exactly. art, right? And and art, for example, like if you are a creative person, you would know this that. If there's too many uh, rules imposed on what you're doing as an artist, you can never express yourself purely. The, na- the, the naturalness of yourself can't come out purely. That would be like me imposing a lot of rules on myself as a writer. I shouldn't talk about that or I shouldn't talk about this. Or you know, maybe I should talk about Taoism and New Age and not stick to the tradition, which is what a lot of people probably want on this YouTube channel, but that's not what they're going to get. So I'm not going to impose all of these rules on myself which would be like selling out. You'd be like almost like selling out to, you know, appease a crowd or to appease a certain society. That look, look, I'm writing, but I'm still within the rules and I'm not bending the rules. And it's like that's not that's not creativity. Look at most mus- uh, great musicians. Most great musicians step outside of the boundary of conventional thought, right? So they they break the rules even of music itself. Yes. You know, so. And that's how things grow. That's how so things that's grow. How things grow. And I mean, with the current generation, it becomes way too many rules, and too many people come out and say their own agenda and the moral morality and things like that. And those people get hurt a lot, and they can become very loud because of the social media platforms and whatnot. So it seems like there are much more rules than ever, mm. right? Mm. So in hindsight, that creates uh, less value in real artists, mm. right? Mm. Not, not creating uh, real uh, craft, craftsmanship. There's no real authentic creativity much anymore. See how this is mm-hmm. kind of reflecting even the current situation around the world and culturally? Yes, yes. Culture is so-called um, what's trending. What's trending is not culture. <laughs> That's not artistic that's no. you may you may be able to say say that maybe a bit creative because it might be something unique but that's not artistic no no that doesn't resemble that um like um, how the, the the sacred humanity in the art form that's real art to me yes and uh, from that, we have real authentic, authentic culture, just like um, traditional culture still lives on, right? Mm-hmm. So that, like, especially contemporary time right now is because there's just, yes, yeah, so many uh, rules and regulations and uh, so many different come out and say what's right and what's wrong and to, like, a loud, loud voices mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. and that's not really, like, um, valid, really. No. No. And the people actually listen to these people, right? So that they become more hesitant to their, you know, to expand their creativity. Why? Because they worry about the public perception, and that uh, stops the true creativity and what stops the real um, comedy as well. Just having a joke, having a joke, a yeah. light joke, light humor is not almost allowed anymore. You have to think before you say, right? Like because uh, yeah, people have these strong opinions on things, and you need to watch what you say. Really, nowadays, joking is not really allowed anymore. I believe that comedy and joke 
itself is part of art because mm -hmm. in the what, 80s, 90s, or before that, these great comedians come out and say things, and they they say the right things about the world, and they make fun of it, and nothing wrong with having fun, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. a part of human nature. We need to have a good laugh as well. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with humor. The, the people are too uptight. It's too ridiculous. Mm. This would be like, this is, again, Zhuangzi's point, right? The reason why most of the Zhuangzi text is a parody is because of what you said. The moral hypocrite creates a society like what you're saying, what we have today, where humor is dead. That's what a moral hypocrite creates because they have a politically correct view of the world and then that's it. If you step out of line with that, you are cancelled, or you know, you you are outcast from the from humanity. It makes no sense because, like, naturally, we like to have a laugh. It's our nature. We like to have a laugh, and there's nothing wrong with that. If there was no comedians in the world, it'd be a pretty dull world, right? Thank God for the comedian. Shout out to all comedians in the world. That's great. You know what I mean? Drungs just say like this. But if Drungza was on social media and he saw all these social justice warriors, he'd be doing face palm emojis everywhere like this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's yeah, it's outrageous, outrageous. But that's that's the that's the environment at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. So one of the parts we haven't talked about in this chapter is the mind of the master, right? So just to like articulate a little bit. You, you read like like sort of what we've been talking about with morality. So like where you have in the first two lines, you have under, under heaven all can see beauty as beauty only because there is ugliness. All can know good as good only because there is evil, right? And then it goes on to describe, you know, how long or short depend on each other and so forth and so on. And then it goes on to say after that, therefore the wise go about doing nothing, uwe, and teaching no talking. And... So first of all, because under heaven, so on, so here, we see beauty as beauty, there is ugliness, right? So we make a distinction as like what Zhuangzi says with this, this ability to see this and that. We make a distinction. We say that's beautiful. So we create a standard, which then creates its opposite, right? Creates ugliness. And so all can know good as good only because there is, because there is evil. So we've created good, so there is evil. And so we've created standards, right? Um, but there are there are an interplay of opposites, right? So the short and long as uh, you know, front and back, voice and sound harmonize. But the problem there becomes that when we create human standards or social standards mm. that create something as beautiful and something as ugly. So, mm. for example. Uh, as we know, within advertising, a slim woman mm. will always get uh, picked over, say, a, a bit heavyset woman, mm. right? Um, but we created that <clears throat> that that beauty standard. Mm -hmm. Now, is that based on innate attractiveness? Then that's a whole other s story that we, we have to talk about, right? And is it healthy for the heavier woman to be heavy? And we know it's it's healthier to be not to be fat, like. Mm. So that's a whole other argument, mm. but the problem is is that we've created a standard mm. itself. Mm. And so Lao Tzu is saying then, <clears throat> therefore the wise go about doing nothing and, mm. and teaching through no talking. So essentially that uh, you have to come back to silence in, in, this, in this matter, right? You have to come back to silence and understand that uh, 
you can't go around trying to change the way people think and and society itself that that would be just as just as bad as confucius right because confucius went around trying to change the world according to his own view so you can't essentially go around as a taoist and go around changing people according to the way of nature that people have to come across the way of nature it's not mm. it's not something that is uh taoism is not like uh, not a doctrinal no. philosophy like it's not a set of doctrines you could say that to understand Taoism you need to read the Tao Te Ching and, and the Zhuangzi but they are not like set books like the Bible or the Quran or something like this right it's it's completely different so I mean for example if uh, Lao Tzu or Zhuangzi were still alive for example mm -hmm. what would they say about the current world I don't think they would say anything about it they'd just say it's just a movement of nature. Yes. Just let let it take its course, mm. and just um, you are already part of it, whether you know it or not. So that to live from a place where you know it mm. or you don't know it, that's your choice. Mm. Or if you don't know it, there it's not a choice. You'll be living in kind of very physical, yep. limited world. Yes. But nevertheless, it. If uh, Zhuangzi and Zhuangzi, Zhuangzi and Laozi were alive, I think they would say it's there's nothing wrong with it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's what they would say. It was part of it. Whatever is not suitable for um, nature and the universe, it'll die away naturally. Yes. And if it's a um, if it's aligned with the law of nature then it'll survive. It's nothing that you go about and tell people what to do and try to change the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if they were like a, our own personal psychologist and we were a bit social justice warrior mm -hmm. then they would say to us that, oh, no, no, from the, from because they lived 2,500 years ago, they'd be like, oh, no, this is just an old game. This, and this is just one version of the game. This will fizzle out and another game will arise. Mm -hmm. But what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Are you running around... Uh, opposing the game which is contributing to the game in, in, in a subtle sense and and promoting your own version of the same game you know you're just changing the rules according to your own subjective opinion you're not you're not fundamentally cutting the tree at its root you're just pruning the branches that's right and you're trying to mold the tree according to how you see and that's what social justice warriors do that's what all of these you know people these days and and ha actually it's not that that's a new phenomenon. It's always been around. So people are trying to mould or, or prune the tree according to their, their way of thinking. Where, where Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi just cut the tree at its root and say, don't play the game at all. Mm. You know, Don't play the game at all. Remain mm. shanti. Do nothing. Allow the world, the nature of human, civili human civilization, the nature of human civilization. If you look at mm. and remember, Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi are looking at human civilization here like a plant. And you just let it grow and decay and grow and decay and just run its course. But you don't engage your mind in this. You have to practice vairagya, so a, a renunciation of worldliness. And not, in, and not get your mind entangled in all of this nonsense that we call uh, human civilization. And so you have to really refrain from that. So where Lao Tzu says actually teaching no talking, he's not essentially saying that you just keep your yap shut. He's also that that can be translated as teaching no other form of knowledge or set of beliefs is what he's saying. People don't need more, they need less. 
So if you come along with this right, and you say, I've got the Tao Te Ching, this is, I know the way of nature and this and that, I mean, you, you become just like a Bible salesman then, you know what I mean? You're just a Bible thumper or a Bible basher, and you're telling people you've got the way. That's definitely not what they need. They don't need more, they need less. They need to unravel themselves first before understanding also this too sometimes, you know? So it doesn't mean just teaching no talking. It does mean both remaining silent in... Uh, not not just a physical sense, but in a, in a psychological sense. So in a psychological sense and also remaining silent in the sense that you're not promoting a set another set of beliefs for other people to to, you know, take on board. Yeah, otherwise I mean you may promote a good idea which is like Taoist idea and whatnot, but the way you approach it is exactly the same as what the other people are doing. Exactly. And you in the other people's eyes, you are the only. You are just a, uh, an individual who wants to just persuade your that agenda yeah. to themselves. So it doesn't look any different. You're just trying to push your own agenda. Yes, mm. and so, you need to have no agenda. Yeah, exactly. That's Zhuangzi and Lao Tzu's mm. point. Is you, you have no agenda. If you have no agenda, the Tao can make use of you. And in a roundabout way, that's actually how people uh, change the world. That's why we remember Lao Tzu, Zhuangzi, Buddha, Shankara, so forth and so on, all of those greats. They, why do we remember them thousands of years' time, but you don't remember a politician from the 400s? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or a king or, or a king. Yeah, they're long gone. They, they just become dust in the ether. You know what I mean? So, but you remember them because they didn't essentially go about trying to change the world and coincidentally they did change the world you know well, the thing is that's the only the truth and what can remain forever and ever i think yeah. i mean when people when we say that like stop worrying about politics and, and you don't there's no point in you being opinionated in this and that and maybe a lot of people uh, may react like oh what about the these problems that's going on around the world mm. and, and like uh, what about the problem that my neighborhood and mm. this and that mm. initially you still may worry about things like that it could be just out of pure um, innocent um, intention mm. and innocent reason why right? you want to help people and this and that but at the end of the day whatever you think doesn't really matter mm. actually has no effect on how it will pan out. Mm. What you think is what you think to you and how things are going to work is two completely different story. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. As if like, like I told you this story that uh, one of the individual I heard talking that how she's against the Mardi Gras, oh, yeah. for example. Mm. But whether she agrees or not, that's just going to happen. happen. happen anyway, yeah. It doesn't matter. So why do you think mm. your opinion on that is so important yeah. to be heard by other people? This mentality, I don't really understand it. It's almost pointless to have an opinion yeah. in that case. And actually, a lot of things are like that. Mm. But if so that if you were to step back mm. and try to look at the bigger picture... That you 
kind of come to an agreement that actually doesn't really matter. I have an opinion or not. Mm. Because at the end of the day, things will go on as it should and as it will. Mm. And the outcome will be whatever will be, Mm. no matter how you think about it. Mm. So do you want to emotionally really deeply involve into it, Mm. which has no effect? Or do you want to rise above and see the bigger picture and not lean against this or that and live by nature's way, mm. you know. Well, that's overestimation, see. That individual overestimates their opinion, overestimates their subjective view of the world. And that's one of the core problems, right? And that's what Taoism exposes because Taoism is a path of ordinariness. It's a path of non-specialness. But what happens when we create a society that, especially what we have now, and also what, you know, if we look at it back in Confucian Confucian era as well, is that uh, it can be individually geared, and so there's this idea of feeling special, you know. And as Taoism articulates, you are no more special than an ant. You have your place in the world. There's no doubt humans have their place in the cosmos, but it's not at a higher place than an ant. And so this really pulls you down off that pedestal. And so that sort of individual that has such a high, has such a, you know, a subjective opinion of their view of what that Mardi Gras shouldn't happen, for example, they overestimate their opinion because they, on a subtle level, feel that they are special. And what the Tao Te Ching does, what the Zhuangzi text does, is it pulls you off that pedestal and brings you back to earth. Mm-hmm. And it says, you're not special, no, you're fella. Not special. You're not special. And so why are you walking around with all of these opinions rattling around in your skull about what you think should happen in the world and so forth and so on? That is the crux of the problem. Because we've got everyone walking around saying, this is how it should be. That's how it should be. Mm-hmm. And you think conflict is not going to happen? Mm-hmm. Of course it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It can only happen mm-hmm from that perspective and so that's part of the problem and so we've got to get we've got to cleanse out this mentality that we think we are special Mm. and we've built a whole culture on that right the hollywood version of life and the and the american version of life is on extraordinariness and not ordinariness but the Taoist view and the eastern view in general is on being ordinary and understanding that you know I'm very fortunate to, you know, hopefully I get 100 years of life here, maybe a little bit more, but I'm very fortunate to have this life. Mm. But I'm not going to assume that this 100 years is going to define the cosmos's existence. Mm. It's a blip. Mm. It's a blip. And we overestimate ourselves that this 100 years that we're going to live is going to be, we're going to be, we're going to change the world. We're going to become a Buddha. And we're going to like, you know, but in not in the Buddha sense, we're going to be like with the iron fist, you know, like, Hey, like, make an impact to the world. They're making yeah. impact, mm. and so this whole text, the Taoist philosophy in general, is about pulling that rug from underneath your feet, dragging you off the pedestal, and saying, "Don't overestimate your opinion. Don't overestimate overestimate your viewpoint of the world." That's how we got in trouble in the first place. Place, and you know, I. We encounter this in the YouTube comment section where people overestimate their opinions mm. about what you and I are doing, about the knowledge we're teaching. And it's like, and you and I are just dismissive about a lot of these comments because there's nothing to really 
to engage with. It's nothing to comment on because it's like, well, if you don't get it, you don't get it. You know, I mean, because there's nothing you say. Like, it's a stranger in the comments. I mean, we don't know them personally, Mm -hmm. really. So it's it's better to be dismissive than engage because you don't know where that person might be psychologically or or even if they're a real person. It could be like a troll in a troll farm or something. You never know. Troll farm. Because <laughs> there are troll there farms. Is farm there are it. farms. They they call them troll farms. Anyway, but <laughs> so so you, you just have to get out of that. You know, that person should not have an opinion on if, if there's a Mardi Gras or not. If someone said Mardi Gras happened this weekend, that's great. That should be your response. That's great. Because there's nothing else to say about it. It doesn't matter whether if you're a Christian and you don't like gay people or even if you're a, a, a person who likes gay people. It's great either way because mm. it's just happening. Yeah, It's life. Mm. And we've, we've, we're out of touch. This is what happens when you overestimate yourself. You disconnect from just enjoying life itself and you don't know how to have fun. Yeah, you become too uptight. Uptight, You yeah. start to think yourself too seriously. Too seriously, right? yeah. Mm. I had this individual comment once on uh, you and I up on uh, the Annapurna Pass, Throngla Pass. And they were like, why, why do you have to travel all this way to... You don't need to travel all this way to understand. It's like, I, don't under, I really don't understand the comment. Like it, Again, I wrote to them and I was saying like, like are you serious? Like this, you did... <laughs> Like this triggered you, like, but they don't understand that this is just we're just enjoying life, just having fun. It's like what Watts said in relation to Zen. When you come to that deep understanding, you live your life with a certain zest and joyousness, mm. and that's how you and I have always been. You know, like, and it's that analogy in Zen, right? Before enlightenment, carrying wood and uh, car- carrying wood and water. After enlightenment, carrying wood and carrying water. Life goes on, but you carry on with a certain zest and joyousness. And you can enjoy things actually a lot better because the ascetic beauty of the world is revealed to you. You know, you see the intrinsic beauty in the world and everything. It's almost like you have different eyes. You peel your layer of your eyes and you would do the same routine as you were doing before, but you you were dif- you were different. You were at a different place. Yeah, of course. Mm. That's what it is. Mm. That that's um, that kind of comment kind of makes me a bit sad because I find this uh, a lot with a lot of people, especially maybe younger generation people, that they defend their own way of living mm-hmm. is as if like a kind of the best way mm-hmm. to live, but. I mean, we know a lot about having different experiences, especially yeah, sure. like uh, walking in that um, yeah, highest circuit in the world. Yeah, we were walking days. for yeah, 18 days, about 230 kilometers and mm. um, roughly like short days. We walked like two hours. Mm-hmm. That was only, I think, one or two days, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but most days we walked like six plus hours, I yep. think. Yeah. And that that moment that we had uh, when we were tracking is just something that you can just kind of bring it back into your memory straight away for me because, I mean, you're physically, mentally so exhausted, mm-hmm. but there's no way, no other way just to just but walking. <laughs> <laughs> And but 
after a while, got tiresome and exhaustion is actually kind of forgotten mm-hmm. because something else take over you and you just keep walking. Bags are heavy and heavy and feet are hurt and it's so exhausted. But, you know, you're in this nature and uh, you're amongst its other trackers, Nepalese or many foreigners and, you know, meeting nice people in, in nature and you completely like you are completely empty in a good way you at a different place and that sort of your mind is completely kind of stopped stop thinking you fully absorbing uh, what's going on around you and the mm. very movement that you're doing which is walking mm. and it's a complete tranquility that you can you can't manufacture from any other experience in our daily life mm, you know? mm, mm. And that's very shame that people actually think like that. It's very sad because yeah, that kind of experience gives you a lot more teachings than what you can learn from 10 years in university. You know? Oh, of course, yeah. Because you can only learn that from having that kind of experience. Mm. It's a form of sadhana, right? Definitely. It's a form of sadhana. Like, that was an 18-day sadhana for mm. you and I. That was like you put your body and mind in a situation it's never been in. You go to the highest you've ever been. You're la- you, have, you have no oxygen. You, you go through some challenging You go through moments. some challenging moments. But then after it, it it's, it's a great boon, you know what I mean? And yeah, I don't know why people make those sorts of comments. It's really strange. I, I, don't even, I don't know what their version of spirituality is. I think they want people to become just like a stone Buddha. Because their comment, that individual's comment was like, for someone who speaks like about the inner world a lot, you seem to go to a lot of places. Yeah, I'm a human. <laughs> I'm not at odds with my own humanity. Yes. You are at odds with your own humanity. Mm. I enjoy traveling and embracing new cultures because I see the beauty in the world. You don't see, obviously, the beauty in the world. You have made an analytical perspective of what, how life should be. If you're interested in spirituality, then you should just sit like this all day. And it's like, you've obviously never been in a monastery, you've never been in an ashram, because that's not how it is. That um, individual definitely has that very uh, specific image of uh, being a spiritual person. Mm. That's why... um, that it's a materialistic view. Oh right? yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, your experience is in conflict with the, his version of that mm. image, so mm. that yeah, he 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 or she makes yeah. that sort of comment. Yeah, you're missing out so much on life, and that's not the the spiritual view. Like if you if you're interested in Taoism or Buddhism or Hinduism, whatever, then the whole ethos of those traditions was built on people moving, mm. on people walking around and embracing mm. new cultures, going for sadhana up on Himalayas and Arunachala and Bodhgaya and places like this. And I love it. I mean, I'm just dismissive. I'm really dismissive when I see those comments. I've actually, like you said, I feel sorry for some of those people because, and it may be a young person too, because mm. they don't understand that, you know, life is good, man. Life is great. Like you're, you're thinking that life is some sort of negative thing. Life is wonderful once you, like you said, peel the layers of your eye back, eyes back and you see the beauty in life and that ascetic-ness. And they talk about that a lot in all of the traditions, right? Once, like, like in Zen Buddhism, they say that life carries on with a certain joyousness and zest. You're like fully embraced and engaged in life. And not, 
not in an attached way, but in a way that it's it's just it's grand, mm. you know. That's right. Yeah, I remember. I mean, like, you remember how I struggled uh, up in high camp, mm. going up to high camp, which is four thousand nine hundred mm. meters mm. high. Um, and finally, I got up there. And the people who were working, we were struggling, <laughs> breathing, just sitting down, having a soup. Yeah. But there are people cooking food and oh, yeah. running around and like, and these Nepalese people, they just like, I'm like, how do they do it? And Dalbat power. <laughs> and those people go up to that high pass, mm. which is all nearly 5,400 meters high, mm-hmm. go get there very early because... Um, to set up a tea shop to sell the tea mm-hmm. for people yeah. who are going through, right? Mm-hmm. But the, when you get to four, 5,400, man, you, you don't even know you're alive or not. You're just there. You're just <laughs> completely blank, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's just take some photos and let's get the hell down. I need some oxygen. <laughs> it's a bit like that. But these uh, Nepalese people, like, they just bloody strong people. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. strong people. And, like, you learn a lot from... Uh, that experience that experience and like like i said in the high pass you like really hungry there's not much food to eat and uh, when uh the small apples cost like two dollars literally then you realize how like uh, how much you, you should be grateful of things right yes and then i remember that's why when we come down I remember, let's eat as much as we want, (laughs) drink whatever we want to drink and this and that. Because you realize how how things can be very precious Mm. and fragile as well. Mm. Mm. Those two guys, two young guys that were working at the tea shop at 5,400 at the pass, I remember you and I were there for half an hour and I couldn't feel my hands. Yeah, I I couldn't move my hands, but I couldn't feel them. Mm. And I was thinking like, these boys are up here for 12 hours a day. Yeah. And I was thinking like, man, they, yeah. they, got, they got some inner strength. That some like a super lungs. Super lungs yeah. like, but that's, you know, that's dull bark power 24 hours, isn't it? Like <laughs> <laughs> that's in a Pali way. Fully. But that's, you know, you have to move with a bit of joyous, that zest and joyousness in life and you appreciate life itself. And that's part of the spiritual path. It's not about, see, it's, it's crept in because Eastern philosophy went to the West and people analytically scrutinize it. And, mm. oh, I saw um, Alan Watts or, you know, whatever spiritual person you think that they're, you know, supposed to be like a stone Buddha. I saw them doing this. And doesn't that contradict what they talk about? No, it contradicts the way you see it. Mm. That's what it contradicts. They, they don't have any of those sorts of projections of what it means to be spiritual. You do. And as we have explained on this podcast numerous times, spirituality is about being ordinary, not extraordinary. And you and I don't have a problem with traveling, don't have a problem with staying home, we don't have a problem with eating at home or going out to eat or whatever. It's all good because it's, it's all life. And once you crack your head and you understand that psychology of free and easy wandering, then you're at the doorstep of what the Tao Te Ching is talking about. So in talking about that, like, you know, the joyousness, the zest, the, you know, the, the ascetic beauty of life that's intrinsically there, in the second chapter, it goes a little bit more into, like, the, the master's mind, right? Like, 
as as it says, the ten thousand things rise and fall without cease. So there's this understanding that life is coming and going, we are coming and going, everyone listening and watching is coming and going. Nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. Get used to it. That's the way things are. And so then it goes on to say, creating yet not possessing, working yet not taking credit. Work is done and then forgotten. Therefore, it lasts forever. It's ironic when you talk about this text, right? Mm-hmm. Lao Tzu, you know, if you, if you think of Lao Tzu as a historical figure, the guard was saying, you know, bro, come on, give me something. You know what I mean? Like, I know you're a smart dude. And so he, he, he's kind of like uh, goes in, in accord with the last two lines, right? Work is done, then forgotten, therefore it lasts forever. And then we still have this. That's a just chill. He just like, see you, man, whatever. And just, he was like, dummies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they just don't get it. And so he just, he went away. And this, this and, and, and those, actually those last four lines are in accord with, therefore the wise go about doing nothing. So we're talking about uway here, right? And we're also talking about nishkarma karma in the back of a Gita. When Krishna explains to Arjuna, you need to act without being attached to the fruits of your action. Now, this is a psychological state that, you know, a lot of people who, who have never experienced it just don't get it because they don't understand. They, they, they kind of know Uwei and, and Nishkama Karma, but they don't, they don't quite, uh, you know, they don't, they've never experienced it. So it's, it's kind of like something that, that they can ex- sort of explain because they've heard about it in these texts. But they, they've never experienced it personally. Um, but if you have, then you would understand that when you when you when your life is like Zhuangzi, like free and easy wandering, and you're in accord with Wu Wei, effortless action, non-doing, intelligent spontaneity, then your life has a certain sort of flow about it. Mm. But you're not like attached to what's mm. happened before. You just you're, you are in accord with the river and you're just moving with the river as one. And the important thing is here, not, as, uh, not in the firm sense of a person. Because mm. it's the person who attaches to what they've done. That's why it says working yet not taking credit. Mm. How can you not take credit? Well, you've loosened your grip on who you are. Mm. You loosened your grip on who you are. That's who we need in the world. That's what Lao Tzu is explaining here. This is who the wise are. Mm. They, are they don't have a, a strong sense of personhood mm. and so they move with the river as one mm. the Tao is just using them as a vessel even though you can sit there and have a conversation with them and this and that but their nature is very humble and compassionate and forgiving and and humorous mm. and they you know they they they're carefree right carefree the free and easy wandering of Zhuangzi and that's what it is and that's a lot of people come into accord with this if they have a craft or or you know, you've experienced it as a musician. I've experienced it as a writer. But this is more so a, a also. It's got to go outside of the craft, and it's got to become a mentality in everyday life. Because the Tao Te Ching is a life philosophy, right? It's a it's about creating that effortlessness that the the non doing arises because it's the person who does. But this is the idea of you know when when nothing is done, everything is done, right? Which it, which is another thing, you know. Like in the, the the third chapter, it says, "If nothing is done, then all will be well." It says like that in the third chapter, which which you know we'll get into the third chapter in the next episode. But is an extension of that way of thinking. Mm. 
So you're not this person, you're not going around conquering the world mm. and you don't have a firm sense of self because once you have a firm sense of self, that's where all subjectivity and you know, agendas and beliefs yeah. and that come from. Where Lao Tzu and Zhuang Tzu are saying that if you down-regulate that sense of self, doesn't mean that you don't know how to communicate and have a conversation. Of course, you don't lose your intelligence or your, or your mental faculties, but you have a, it, some, there's a different power at, at your base that's guiding your life now. Mm. And, and its power becomes your power. Mm. That's what duh is, right? That's virtue. Its power becomes your power. I like that how you say it's a psychological state yes. that is not something that you try to be that way or you you try to yeah, induce it. It's a, at a like a different level. You you're psychologically you're at a different level, more mm. elevated. Uh, we see this a lot with uh, anyone the, who are famous or not famous. They are skillful and creative at something, and they're very good at it. But there are a lot of people who um, want to take all the credit, mm-hmm. and there are also people who don't really care about yeah. their own fruit of their labor, mm-hmm. right? And something inside of us that we have more pull towards the other group of people who don't take take uh, credit for it, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is a humanness to it. There is that humble attitude and um, uh, is something much m- more than themselves mm-hmm. kind of feeling. We, f- we feel more, uh, yeah, they're more pulled to that kind of um, mindset, right? Yes. And yeah, that's something that we all need to work on, mm-hmm. right? Like we did something good, like, huh? Look at me, like, (laughs) we all can be like this, but eventually we want to be out of, be out of that uh, state of mind, because in that way, you you can't be the best version of yourself, you cannot Mm. reach your potential, I don't think, in a a way, the spiritual potential, you know, if Mm. you're in a position that you're a leader, it won't make you a great leader, you might be just a boss, like a bossy leader, but you're not going to be the real, authentic leader, amongst other people, right? So that the psychological level that we need to get to is something that we need to always remind ourselves. Yeah, if you want to really know about that psychological state, become a writer and write books. <laughs> because no yeah. one cares about books anymore. So you just keep writing and... <laughs> I'm I mean, only joking there a little bit, but, but we know, like, I've also been in contact with people that have said, why don't you promote, you know, the science and practice of humility? And I was like... Bro, that's that's like eight, six, eight years ago. And I mean, time's gone. Time's gone, bro. It's there. Like you leave that work, do its thing, and it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, that's the path of a, like mm-hmm. a like a craftsman, right? Like you you make something and you move on. That's the way it is. You don't sit around promoting it every day and you know every day and every day. It's that's not how it is. Like that may be how it is in, in the pop music industry, for example, but that's not how it is. In most genuine crafts, you know, so... Yeah, let the book speak for itself. It speaks for itself, right? I mean, like, book is out there. Mm. People can get it from anywhere around the yeah. world. Mm. If you can get it in Bangladesh, you can get it anywhere, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so you don't have to go out and... No, you don't have to go out and promote yeah, it. It's yeah. just... A, it's just it, That work is what it is and it does its thing. Mm. And that's, you know, especially what I've learned as a writer is that, you know, like... 
and then the good thing is because books aren't popular it's kept me humble because you know like books don't sell a lot and so on and so on but people who read them are very appreciative and and they gain a lot from from the work you know yeah i mean that's what we've we are learning with the podcast and your work and books and mm. whatnot uh, we may not reach large audience mm. at the moment yeah. But the people who do like your work and the podcast and whatnot, they're really, really appreciating, mm. which is... Um, and very genuine people. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's uh, really good. Shout out to everyone. Yeah. Love all you guys. <laughs> it's not just a watch five-minute clip and forget about it. It's not like that. It's no. uh, really... For some people, it, uh, the content and the books become kind of life-changing lesson, right? And that's, uh, that's really good. Yeah, well, that, you know, in, in getting back to that mentality, it's about like, so if you have a mentality of like you're just moving through life and you're not attached to all of these things and you're not taking credit for this and that, that's also a better person to be around as well, right? Like because if, you, if you're around an egomaniac, for example, an egomaniac is always taking credit for everything. They want to get their ego stroked all the time and, and they usually discard anyone who doesn't stroke their ego. So they keep their circle with yes-men, and so forth and so on. We see this all the time, right? Especially with famous people. But most people are not famous and most people are very ordinary and genuine people and good people. And so in doing, in being so, that means that to understand this master's mind, we have to just sort of like just move with the river and just whatever life or however life presents itself is the way life is for mm. you. And if it's a certain way that you uh, you don't like, you need to understand that the the direction of the river will change eventually. Let's have a look at the pandemic, for example, right? The current pandemic. A lot of people are suffering in the pandemic because of, you know, obviously financial situations, being locked up all the time. And I can sympathize with all that. I, I you know, the, a lot of people aren't highlighting it enough the psychological problems that lockdown and, and the way society is at the moment has produced, which needs to be talked about a lot more. And there's a lot of problems, you know, we could get into all that. But the thing is, from a spiritual perspective, uh, the Tao Te Ching, what it teaches us and what the master's mind teaches us here is to, you, just this process is happening. Mm. Now you can fight it and you can have an opinion on how it is, but I mean, you can go out and do whatever you want, but you'll probably just end up in jail, you know what I mean, if you're going out fighting and, and fighting the cops and this and that. And I know that may seem unfair, but that's the way it is. And so from a higher spiritual perspective, it's about understanding the situation, but also, most importantly, understanding the way that you are interacting with the situation. Mm. How are you interacting and how are you feeling according to the situation? That's what Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi would explain to us because mm. that's what's more important. Mm. Obviously... There is some financial constraints on people. That's going to have a certain bearing on people. There's some uh, sociological constraints through lockdown and so, and so forth and so on. So that's going to have a psychological effect on people. So it's, it's about understanding the way you are in the situation and understanding that. But also having a trust that this won't last forever. Now, how long it's going to last, that's, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Mm. But it will not last. You can be sure about that. You can trust that. And so you need to have that trust, that unending trust that actually is, is 
at the core of Wu Wei.、Mm. The reason why in why the master says that you know to do nothing and and no talking is is that is because what that does when you practice that is that inculcates a trust in you that's un un、uh, unnerved.、Mm. So it can just go on, and you'll you'll trust life. You know, they in other religions they say have faith, right? Faith is probably a a bad term for trust. It's like a secondhand term. What do really mean is trust. So you trust that this process is going to end, and you may come out better or worse. It you know, however life、uh, expresses itself, but、um, you just have to have that trust, and that's what Uwe inculcates. So when you understand that. Not interfering with the world and, and allowing things to run their course, doing the work, not being attached to the work,、mm-hmm. and understanding that all work will get done in、mm-hmm. time, then that gives you this strength,、mm-hmm. this inner trust, and that's what we need in the world, right? Because it, once you lack the inner trust, then you begin to fight the current,、mm-hmm. you begin to swim against the river, and once you swim against the river, what happens? You suffer, you drown. Fear is produced. I mean, there's all of that is so. The Tao Te Ching is a is a book, as we know, of metaphysical psychology. It's about understanding the the metaphysics of the cosmos in relation to your psychology, and and how to how to navigate through life、mm-hmm. without incurring any harm or or incurring harm on others. You know, so. Yeah, it's very difficult, but it is very important to understand right at this moment around the world, isn't it? Because、mm. we are all in the middle of that process, right? Because、mm. we are in it, so we can be short-sighted very easily. Yes. So that we get frustrated and having a lot of、um, causing a lot of problems in their private life and whatnot.、Mm. But if we were to understand that we are going through the The process, like you said, this is a part of process, and it's in a sense also、uh, individually is a personal psychological process as well,、mm-hmm. right? You can see it that way as well.、Mm-hmm. So that having to having the trust that、um, it'll that this course will run out eventually,、yeah. um, hopefully sooner than later, but it、mm-hmm. will, right?、Mm-hmm. So that having that trust will. Give, It does give us a lot of、um, hope and strength to go through this time for everybody. Well, it's like what you were saying before about the Mardi Gras, right? It, it doesn't matter whether you have an opinion on it or you want to fight it; it's happening.、Hmm. I mean, there is a power of acceptance that we need to to understand. And look, a lot of people in, especially in Western countries, are the loudest about this situation. But you see, in a lot of the poorer nations, they're not. And they are in a far worse situation. And to be honest, we're not hearing a lot about actually the, the real damage in places like Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, you know, Nepal. Like there's there's things that the media won't tell you about what's going on there. So you have to put your life into perspective. If you're a person of middle class in the West, and this and that, I'm pretty sure you're okay. You know what I mean? Like, but you're okay in the sense that you know you're you, you're going to survive, but Uh, it's not as your life's not as good, but it's not also as bad as what someone who's who lives in the third world, who lives on the streets, and that man, we're not hearing anything about that stuff. You know what I mean? So, what we need is、uh, people to have more trust, and just to, like you said, hope. Hopefully, this 
we overcome the situation sooner rather than later. But also trust that it will, we will overcome it sooner rather than later and, and some sort of sanity will prevail on how you know, the world can open up again. Mm. Uh, maybe it's going to open up again just with coronavirus as part of the world. You know, we don't know. That's just all speculation. Mm. But, but nevertheless, you have to have that trust that this is the way, um, this is the situation is happening. And your opinion on it is, is as much as your friend's opinion on not liking the Mardi Gras. You know what I mean? It's the same because it's meaningless. Mm. So instead of having a lot of solidified opinions, work on those opinions, taper those back and, and just see your life and how you are feeling towards life, you know, objectively and, and, and work spiritually work on yourself. And again, like we're going through this process, everybody together. Um, you can always choose to look at the positive side as well. Mm. At the moment, it doesn't look like it at all. No. But at the end of the day, um, it may have a positive effect for everybody in some way, you know. And we just don't know, do we? It's yeah, all... so right now, we can't see it. No. But once the time goes on, and once we get over this time, hopefully we come up with some positive um, effect on average individual's life. Mm. Mm. They always say hindsight's the son of a gun, right? <laughs> so, but yeah, so, you know, Taoist practice, especially in a situation like this, is very important. Mm. Understanding the Tao Te Ching, actually studying the Tao Te Ching in this period of time would have been, well, would be a great thing for people. Mm. You know, those who are in lockdown and or those who are in a difficult situation. This is a, a, a good, great book to understand uh, during this process. But, you know, it's, it's a life manual, right? So it's about uh, understanding any situation. You know, even when life is good, it's about understanding that in some sense, the version of your life that you feel is good will, will have probably a dip. You go, life goes like this, right? You don't just stay up here on the clouds. Yeah. Life has its ebb and flows. It's, again, it's how you are interacting with life that determines the quality of life. It doesn't matter about external circumstances. You got you just won a million dollars. You lost a million dollars. Yeah. You know, it's how you are interacting with with life that determines the quality of the life. And so, when you have a perspective of beauty as beauty, then ugliness will will be born. Mm -hmm. But if you have a perspective that um, life is just this one thing and you're starting to work on that mentality of this and that, then you begin to see the ascetic-ness of life, the beauty of life, even in those terrible moments in life, those tough situations. You still see the beauty in that because you haven't made a distinction between this is good and this is bad. Mm. You've got out of that mentality. Mm. And so you work and you live in your way regardless of the situation which is what Uwe is, right? You're living your way regardless of the situation. You're not attached to the situation or how your life is or will be. You're just living. So it should be a bit like this before pandemic, after pandemic, the same. Same. <laughs> actually, actually, literally, yeah? Literally, you shouldn't be moved 
a lot by the rising tides. Yeah. But that's a really heightened spiritual state, right? Like that's at the Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi level. That's like at a very heightened spiritual state. Most of us probably aren't at that level, but mm. we can get to that level when we start to work on, like you said, uh, like we were talking about, sorry, the working on the this and that mentality of like, you know, you're just focusing on the interplay of opposites and you're not like seeing the world as a whole. Yeah. And so you are moved then by the rising tides, yeah. you know, so. Those movements will never go away. No. It, it will always be there. It's yes. Just whether you want to pay attention or not, that's your choice. Exactly. Mm. Again, cleanse your mind. Cleanse yourself of all these opinions, all this subjectivity. You may, on a subjective level, disagree with a lot of things in life, but that's affecting your quality of life. It's affecting your ability to have that psychological state of free and easy wandering, which is the goal of Taoism, is to have that mind of free and easy wandering. Mm. It doesn't matter what, life ha- what happens in life. You are free and easy. Mm. You move about. Your energy is not blocked. That's what happens a lot online, right, where people are... You see all these strange comments and this and that, but you just know that that person's energy is blocked. Mm. They don't have that free and easy wandering psychology. Mm. But the goal of Taoism is to have that, that mind of the master that we that we talked about in this last part of the chapter two on the Tao Te Ching. And that's how we all, well, that's the goal for all of us is to move with life with this. It's like the, the Japanese term onsue, right? Onsue means to drift like a cloud and flow like water. And that's the mind of a Taoist, to drift like a cloud and flow like water. You know, this is life, just I'm moving with life. I don't think I'm special, I'm moving with life. And life is expressing itself through me as it needs to. And then I will die, eventually. That's just life. Not attached to this and that, just moving through life, surfing through it. And there's a great freedom in that. A great freedom in that. A lot of people don't think there's a great freedom in that because people have associated with an extraordinary version of reality and they think freedom equates to having a lot of money, a lot of fame, having respect and notoriety from people. You're a hostage to other people's beliefs and you're a hostage to materialism. You have to free yourself from that and come back into the mind of Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi. Well said. So that's about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So guys, I hope you enjoyed the second episode of the 81 chapters of the 81 meditations of the Tao Te Ching. And remember to like this content. Remember, drop a comment and let us know what you think about our analysis of the Tao Te Ching. Make sure you share this with your friends if you, if you enjoy the content. And we subscribe. And subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> so <coughs> a lot of people say to me, you know, how do you reach a wider audience? And it's kind of, it seems that the algorithm or whatever it is likes, it likes likes and comments and, yeah. and if you share. Yeah. So if you respect the work that I'm doing on this channel and Guy and myself are doing on the podcast and you have an appreciation for Eastern philosophy and this content and you would like this to reach the people it needs to reach, then, mm. you know, please uh, think about, you know, dropping a like, a comment and sharing with your friends and we love and appreciate you all and like our guy was saying before we really appreciate all of the audience and mm. most of the people here are very genuine and sincere so you know we don't take that for granted so definitely all right so guys we'll see you next week and 
Have a good day.